0: Amen, amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? We are, uh, for the summer months, we've kind of switched up our, our services a bit. And so we're, we're doing a bit of a shorter worship set, as you have noticed, at the front end, uh, in, in the hopes that there's less of you guys sleeping through the message part of the service. Uh, we know the lights in here get real, real hot. And um, and so we thought, hey, if we if we bump that up, and then we have a bit more of a response time, maybe you won't be so marinated by the time we get to the sermon. So um, here, here's us trying it. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I, I help out here at the house a bit with the the tech and and worship side of things, and. Um, it, it's, it's a bit strange. last two weeks I was leading worship, and then, then here now this week. Uh, it feels like a lot of Ryan up front, and I, I truthfully am a lot more comfortable behind the spaceship of a soundboard at the back of the room. Um, but I'm excited to be able to be with you tonight in this capacity. Um, if you're streaming with us, we stream all of our Sunday night services online. Welcome. Uh, we're glad that you've decided to join us that way. Uh, if, if you've been with us in the last few months, you'll know that we've been going through a series Uh, titled Walking in Abundant Life. And we've pulled this out of a passage in John 10, chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly. And and so over the past number of weeks, we've been exploring what, what does that mean? What does abundant life in Jesus actually look like? What does it mean to have an abundant life in Jesus, and maybe, more importantly, how do we share that abundant life with the world around us? For those of you tonight who, who might identify as being a Christian or a Christ follower or, or, or whatever you want to call it, you and I, we, we share a unique perspective on life. Okay, We believe that that this life here and now, what we're living in, this isn't it, this isn't This isn't all we have, but actually that that this life now is just a sliver in the scope of eternity. Um, We believe that we don't need to explore absolutely everything that this world has to offer um, because we know that that God has promised us eternity in heaven and that, that that eternity will actually be far more fulfilling than anything that this world has to offer. And so I want to propose to you today and and maybe work through this point that a key distinctive of a person living an abundant life is that that person has a focus on eternity. That is that we are engaged in the here and now. So we're still present, but yet we're focused on what is yet to come. This idea of living for eternity, it seems to be one that's particularly countercultural to the world that we live in today, right? Because the world says, experience all that you can now. Get in all, all your time and go nuts and go wild. Uh, live for the moment because that's all you might have. And so living in eternity and for eternity is a stark contrast to that. And it's something that by large, especially in the 21st century, we've really sucked at. Okay, if, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, um, over the course of, of, of humanity, we've really dropped the ball on maybe more than a few occasions. But, but this one thing here, I think, we've just missed the point. We, we don't understand what living for eternity looks like. You know, I think God's given us, I don't even have a Bible up here, God's given us His Word, the Bible, and, and there's all sorts of instructions in there right? And some are more clear than others. There's some that, that truly are confusing, but this idea of, of living for more than what's right here and now, I think that's pretty clear in his word. I feel like it's a bit like one of those color by numbers books, right? He gives it to us and he says, all right, here, here's your colors, here's your numbers, here's how these colors match to those numbers. And, and some of us have got a bit too creative, We've gone, okay, I'm going to do the sky brown, and the, the, the ground's going to be blue. And, and then others of you have maybe just gone, you know what, I, I, this would actually serve me better as a fire starter, you know? I need to get my campfire going. It's really important. Our culture wants things here and now. We want what we want when we want it. And you don't need to love Jesus to see this impulsive trend. Right. This isn't just a, uh, an observation, a perspective of, of Christian people. Um, according to a study that I found, scientists say this. They say the age of smartphones has left humans with such a short attention span that even a goldfish can hold a thought for longer. Researchers surveyed 2,000 participants ac- across Canada... And I think Canada might even have a leg up on the states. So this is, this is something. Uh, across Canada, and studied the brain activity of 112 others using some fancy machine that I wrote down. and I can't say it. So. Um, but the results showed this. Here's the important part. The average attention span of a human is about eight seconds. Now a goldfish, meanwhile, they're believed to have an attention span of nine seconds. <sighs> this is like one of those, go humanity. Ooh, yeah, we've really done it this time. Wow. And so, thinking about eternity, it's quite the challenge. Eternity is quite the topic to conquer in eight seconds, isn't it? You and I, we we have this human condition, this disposition that that really puts us at a bit of a disadvantage to thinking about eternity. And so, I want to say this and, and be clear, though. A focus on eternity doesn't mean a lack of presence in the moment, Okay? It means we are engaged in the here and now, and yet are focused on what is yet to come. So it, and enough about the problem. I want to head to the Bible. Of course, it, if it was just me talking about what I thought about eternity, this would be a waste of your time, and I want to value your time. And so we're going to head to the Bible and see what it has to say about eternity and posturing your life for eternity. And we're going to take some cues from Peter. And, you know, I really, really like Peter because um, I feel like I can identify with the guy. Uh, if you know anything about Peter's story, you'll know that um, he, he really at times struggled with the reality of his faith, right? He was the guy that the people, three different sets of people came up to him and said, hey, yeah, we, we saw you with that guy, Jesus. And he said, yeah, I don't, don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then the next one said, hey, that, that guy, Jesus, you're friends with him, right? And he went, Jesus, who's, who's Jesus? Right? He, he flat out denied God. And, and yet... Even amidst all his struggle, Peter felt this, this bold uh, call to proclaim the gospel in his life. And so, I feel like I can identify with Peter because I too feel the struggle. The struggle is very, very real. And yet, I, I feel this, this tension and this bold call to make his gospel known. And so I'm going to read out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And it's going to be on the screen behind you. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And I love the caption here it says, Stewards of God's grace. So the first four, verses four through six, um, they are, oh, this is, oh, my numbers are funny. The first set of verses here is, uh, it's kind of like a setup to, to the meat and potatoes, uh, which is seven through eleven. And so, um, just, just bear with me here. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has seized from sin so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For that time is past, suffices doing, sorry, that time is past, and suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawlessness, and idolatry. That's quite the list. Uh, With respect to this, they're surprised that when you do not join With them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, and that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God. And in order that everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, are you still with me? It's been far longer than eight seconds. Do I, I got at least a few of you. Good. Okay. Uh, it seems funny to me that this, this passage, um, that I felt led to preach on this passage, and, and when, I, when I say led, I, I really do mean that I was just showering on Monday morning and it popped into my head. That's how God speaks sometimes. But that I felt led to preach on this passage the same week that Center of Gravity was happening downtown. Uh, you see, I can't help but, but read the list in verse 3 and feel like there, there's just like a, a bit of a, a correlation. Um, a good friend of mine, he he renamed this weekend, uh, maybe fittingly, the, the center of depravity. And um, you know, it's just, it's just a strange thing. Like all of a sudden, there's all these people walking around who just seem to have forgotten to get fully dressed in the morning. So I, I don't know what that's about, but um, yeah, so... I want to be clear, though, I don't, I don't think center of gravity is a one-way ticket to hell. You know, in, in fact, I don't even think it's necessarily bad. Uh, I have actually quite a number of friends that paid good money to be there. Um, there's a lot of cool things going on. But if we're honest, some of the things going down over there in City Park, uh, they're a bit destructive. And they really are a bit of a reflection of a culture that places ultimate value on experiencing the moment above all else. See, even even a secular news source like Castanet, our faithful Castanet, is writing articles like, Center of Gravity Strikes Again, or like, pulling hundreds of police officers into Kelowna for a festival, and things like that. And so our culture recognizes, hey, this isn't totally fruitful. This isn't totally awesome. Um, No one says, like, hey, I think it's so great that you're attending Center of Gravity this weekend. It's so awesome to see you building into your future. That is so good. I think if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we can agree that we have a problem. And not we as in people at Center of Gravity. We as in the church, as in humanity, as in our culture. We have a problem. Because we live in a culture that says what is right now is most important. Do what makes you happy. Which sometimes you should do. But then we go on and say be your own master. You matter most. You are the ultimate. Right? And, and it's just not making us happy. That's the thing. And if you spent any time in this circuit, you'll know that it just isn't fulfilling. And what I find even more crazy about this whole picture is that we are so focused on the moment, and yet we're so glued to our technology, right? To our screens. And so we're hardly living in the moment at all, right? You go to a concert, and you don't see people like jacked out of their mind like, woo! You see people going like this, right? They're sitting there, clogging up their hard drive with videos they're never going to watch. So I think Jesus calls us to something different, and his call is countercultural. He says, I want you to have life, and I want you to have it abundantly. You see, he didn't go to the cross so that we could just keep doing what we wanted to do the way we wanted to do it. He went to the cross so that you could have life and have it abundantly, so we could have more of a full life than we had ever imagined. A good friend and mentor of mine, when talking about a focus on eternity, said this, he said, someone with an eternal perspective, someone who is focused on eternity, will talk and live far differently than someone whose primary motivation is squeezing as much pleasure as possible out of the here and now. I think, uh, I think Darren's on to something. I think if, if we really do have a focus on what is eternal, our life's going to look a bit different And it might mean that we need to change, that we need to make some adjustments. And we're not real good at change. We don't really like change, do we? Uh, But but thankfully, our boy Peter here, he's got us. He's got us on the hook here, and and he's got a few words to say about how to handle change. And so I'm going to read again from this passage in 1 Peter, and just read verses 3 through 5, and read them from the message. It says this, You have already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken, profligate life, now it's time to be done with it for good. And of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore. But you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. And so uh, Peter gets it. If, if you're focused on eternity, there's going to be a bit of a shift in your life there might be a disconnect between the crew that was your crew and and the crew that becomes your crew. Um, Because they might not understand you. But but here's the thing. Peter says, that's all right. You don't actually need their approval. But this is hard, isn't it? Like, we like to be liked by people. All right, it's just me. I like to be liked by people. Um, We like to feel approved by others, admired by others, encouraged by others. And yet, on the other hand... Peter's saying, no, you you have full approval in God. When when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I'm giving you, I'm dying for everything you've done, and I'm giving you a new identity. You are full in me. Your identity is in me. You need my approval only. And and so we we live in this tension that, that we want to be approved by the people around us, and yet we are fully approved in Jesus. And this is the challenge so as you commit to life, your priority, or sorry, commit to Christ, your priorities are adjusted, or, or, or at least they should be, and your habits might look a bit different. Uh, your friend groups might change, and, and your lifestyle might go along with that, but, but here's the catch, and this is, I think, the really important part. You still need those old people, those old friends. I don't even like using the word old. You still need those people in your life, okay, and they need you. You are the same as them. You need Jesus just as badly as they do, and it's only by God's grace that you found him. Right? You are the same as those people. A statistic says that that once the average person becomes a believer in Christ, he or she loses contact with all unbelieving friends within two years. Now you might be thinking, hey Ryan, I've been a, friend, or a Christian for at least a decade and every time I hit up the McDonald's drive-thru, which is, is frankly more frequently than I'd like to admit, uh, Betty and I, we connect, we chat at the drive-thru and, and we talk and I'm pretty sure she doesn't believe in Jesus, right? But I, I don't think these are the type of relationships we're talking about. I'm talking about relationships where you have an investment, where you have a voice into someone's life. Where you, uh, where you have this connection that's on a real level, not just this superficial, hey, how are you? Good, yeah, good, nice to see you. And stats say that most Christians, we don't have these type of relationships with people that aren't Christians. And this is brutal. And yet, it happens so easily. It is so easy to just align ourselves with those who are just like us. And, and you know what, it is easy to lose contact with those who don't share with us the thing that defines our identity, right? So for example, if, if you uh, at one point were in a, a beer pong team, and, and the ultimate goal of life was to be beer pong champion, and this was like, Friday night is go time, and, and we just got to rule this, okay, so once that is no longer like your thing, the, 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 the people that, that this is their thing, it seems a bit goofy. It's like, oh, this is it, eh? Um, It's a bit strange. And so we start to, we have an identity mismatch. And yet, the gospel says, Christian or not, we are all in the same boat. We are all in need of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so you are the same as those people. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, the, the playing field is level. And so if we're, if we're able, and if we are to focus on eternity, we, we must focus on those around us. You see, all, all relationships we have, they're, they are important. All of them are important. But I think if we are starting to think about what, what is eternal, then, then our relationships with people who, who uh, we might not be sharing eternity with, th- those become, uh, and they move up to like a new level of importance. Right? There's a, a, a new sense of urgency there. And so right now for me, I have, I have two dudes in my life who I connect with regularly, whether that be in person or whether it's just a text or uh, over Facebook, and, and we connect and, and you know just chat about life, how's life going, and, and, and talk about real issues that we have going on. And I'm not talking to these guys because I feel like they're on the brink of conversion. Right, They're not going to fall over like, spirit-filled tomorrow because I'm, I'm chatting with them. But I have a connection with them and, and a friendship, a relationship with them. And, and if I'm not going to show Jesus to them, who, who do I expect is going to? Uh, on top of that, I really do feel that I learn so much from our friendship together. I learn so much from them. And so I do want to clarify, if, if you're a dude and you're going like, hey, I I need to make some connections. Maybe I'll head out to level and tell that girl about Jesus and then take her home on Friday night. This is different. That's not the thing, okay? These are two different things. I think you need real relationships in your life where you're connecting with people that, that, that don't know Jesus, not just because they need Jesus, but because I think this is the call of Christ. So as Christians, we believe that eternity can be a glorious thing. Because after we die, we believe that heaven and hell, these things are real. In Revelation 21, we read these are real things. And so, as I said earlier, we are engaged in the here and now, but yet we are focused on what is to come. And so, I want to ask you, have you ever just taken some time to reflect and meditate on heaven To just sit and ponder on it as best as humanly possible? You know, in Sunday school, and and if you were like a a Sunday school kid, uh, we talked about heaven and streets of gold and pearly gates and fluffy bunnies and all the nice stuff, right? But can you even begin to comprehend what it would be like not to experience hatred, not to experience loss or pain or suffering, war? War? You know, if if you've read the news this week, if you've spent any time on on a device or on the internet, you'll know that, that, man, earth sucks. We suck. Things really suck. There's a lot of schmutz going on. That Heaven will be free from all of that. So if, if you were to spend time thinking about what eternity might be like, would it maybe compel you to live your life differently? See, I believe that only the hope of heaven will move our focus off the things of this world. It's only when we realize that this world cannot fulfill what we are longing for that we'll be willing to move on to eternity. I I think C.S. Lewis said this very brilliantly. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did most for the present were precisely those who thought the most of the next world. And so... When he says doing, what what does that doing look like for us on a daily basis? We've talked about, okay, eternity, and what does that actually all look like for us? And we're going to head back to the text in 1 Peter 4. I'm going to read 7 through 10 here. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love this. I really love this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So how how do we do this? By using our gifts. And why do we do this? Because Christ has graciously, he's given us so much through the work of the cross, You see, your love doesn't cover a multitude of sins, but Jesus' sure does. So I believe that the the true mark of someone living with a focus on eternity is their distinct ability to love people well. Boom. It's not mind-blowing, right? I think the true mark of someone living with a focus on eternity is their distinct ability to simply love people well. I think too often we, we try and boil this, this, this big love word down to maybe specific acts of goodness. We go, oh, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to take him out for dinner. I'm going to say something nice and make them feel good about themselves or, or whatever. We try and, and kind of itemize it and go, I'm going to love this person in here by doing something for someone. But I, I'm not so sure that when we look at the thread of Scripture that this is the love that we find. I don't think God is referring to specific one-time acts, but I think rather that God's called us to a posture. He's called us to a way of living that throughout all things, our Christ-likeness and our love is evident. It's like an aroma. It's something that that radiates off us and surrounds us and follows us. Uh, This past week, Sarah, my wife, and I, we spent a few days camping in the Rocky Mountains, There we are! Yeah, that's a good one. Um, That one looks real good though, I like that. Woo! so we spent a few days camping in the Rocky Mountains, and we chose, rather than to bring a camp stove, that we would just do all of our cooking on the fire, right? That's so cool, like natural, and, and yeah, whatever. Now, of course, we had banked that all of the fire pits, that they would have those, those grates on them. So they got the, the, the bowl, and then they put those grates so that you can put things on top of them. We were like, oh, of course they will. Uh, so we showed up, and of course they didn't have those. Uh, and and um, yeah, it was a problem. It really was a problem. So we ended up jimmying. Yeah, let's get to the next one here. This is good. We ended up jimmying this like this, this contraption of this grate that we had along, like fireproof. But, um, but as you can see, it's resting On the wood that's burning, okay. So the wood's moving as our water is boiling. Um, It was brutal. It was not a good idea. And so I spent like all. And the thing was, the fire wasn't hot enough because we weren't close enough. It took so dang long to boil. So I'm sitting hovering over it the entire time as it's like you know as wood pops and shifts and so it's shifting and our our water is moving and I'm trying to like oh do I need to do I need to catch it? Is it gonna like if this thing falls in the fire, we're screwed. We have no dinner. Then I'm pissed, and it's not good, okay. And so I spent all week with my head, all evening with my head over the fire, trying to make this thing work, and it did, and we made it through. Um, and, And so I spent a lot of time breathing in the smoke, and I was just like coated in this this smoke. And so if if things have seemed a little bit weird today, maybe it was due to the excessive inhalation of toxins. Don't, don't know. So wait, okay, here's the point. Here's the point. We, we were on our way home from our camping trip yesterday, and we stopped in Revelstoke uh, and visited with a friend of mine. Uh, and, and as we were sitting across from him in, in, in the coffee shop, he, he says, well, you sure smell like a campfire. I said, yeah, well, we were camping, right? And then as we got home, um, all, of our, all of our crap smelled like campfire. And then as I woke up this morning, my pillowcase, which I had just washed, smelled like campfire because my hair smelled like campfire because I didn't wash it the night before. Uh, And then when I got out of the shower this morning, after scrubbing my hair for what seemed like an eternity, it still smelled like campfire. Oh, goodness me. Uh, So, here's the thing. We weren't trying to smell like smoke, right? We did it just because we had spent, or we smelled like smoke just because we had spent time by the fire. And I think in the same way, when we spend time with Jesus, when we have a greater understanding of the sacrifice that he made for us, how his death on the cross gives us new life, that that we have this aroma, right, just because we spent time in it, that, that surrounds us. We have this aroma of love, and it's not one that we're striving for and doing particular things, but rather something that follows us. When, I, I'm actually, I'm going to get the band to come up. We're, we're almost done here. You can all sigh in relief. Um, when I was younger, uh, my parents made an intentional point of inviting this guy, Rob, into our house. And Rob was, it was like a really weird connection. My parents have rental properties, and he was the friend of one of our tenants. Um, and, and Rob had a bit of a history and, and a present, uh, some issues with Uh, substance abuse and alcohol addiction and all all of those things Uh, and he didn't have any family in town and I don't know how we got wind of all this Um, but uh, I don't really remember much about him but that he came for family dinners often Uh, and and Rob actually did spend a Christmas with us and open gifts and was just around Um, and he, he just became kind of part of our routine and at that time I didn't think anything of it uh, Rob wasn't a drug addict or a drug dealer in our house. Rob was just a dude. Uh, and, and he was a dude that had a really sweet chain necklace that I was like, I need one of those. You see, my parents didn't make it weird. It was just something that we did as a family. Uh, and, and for years on since then, every year at Christmas, we, we often invite people that we know, hey, they don't have somewhere to go or, or they don't have family around. And that's just part of, it's part of what we do. Um, it's not a particular thing, but it's woven into the thread of our routine. And so my parents were so naturally modeling for me what it looked like to love people well. See, they, they certainly have a gift of hospitality, and it's not everyone's gift. You might have a different gift, but they use that gift so well. And we have a be- they have a beautiful home, and, which I no longer live in, um, but... And they use that, and they've leveraged that for the kingdom. See, they've leveraged what they have here on earth, fully engaged in the moment now so that they can build into eternity. And so you might ask, what about Rob? You know, we we don't know where Rob is. We actually don't have any idea what impact those times had on his life. But is that for us to decide? You know, I think God calls us to something, and he says here's the coloring book, here's the pencil crayons, here's the numbers, go nuts within the lines here, here's what you got to do, I'll take care of the rest. And so my question is today, what what is your aroma? Are you focused on eternity? Does it overflow into the rest of your life? Or are you just trying to squeeze as much pleasure as possible out of the here and now? You know I want to be honest, living for eternity, it's gonna be a bit of a sacrifice. Your life's going to look different, but when, when we really zoom out big picture, the sacrifice that it is, is is really small in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. On the other hand, if, if you're living just for here and now for the moment, I, I want to propose to you that it's far more of a sacrifice than, than you could ever imagine. I don't think we'll actually understand the scope of it until we understand eternity. But I truly believe that it actually takes more faith to bank on the here and now as the only thing, as the end all, as this is all we got, this is as good as it gets, than it does to bank on eternity. I often say this to people, even, you know, even if this whole thing, if it's a hoax, which I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is not a hoax, that, that I find far more joy in life living as per Jesus' direction than I would as if I was just pursuing all the things of this world. I think I find far more joy. I want to end by another quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it's so good. He says this. says, If I find my desires, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Why don't you pray with me? God, there are just so many things that we don't understand. And eternity is certainly one of those things. There are so many things about eternity we can't understand we won't understand until we're there. But God, we just pray that you would graciously grant us the ability to give us a lens for eternity, that we would somehow see the value, God, in, in what you've promised us and what living with a posture for eternity does. God, the joy in it Lord, we we know we need a a lot of help. Um, We struggle at so many things. We're just so thankful that, God, you, above all else, have loved us. God, it's only that we can love because of the way that you first loved us. So we pray that you would give us a greater understanding of that love. God, that you would make the cross where you sent your son to this earth, and, and he lived the perfect life, and then... He died the death that that we deserve to die. We pray that you would make that reality new again to us every day. God, we we need your love. We need your grace. We are so thankful that you have called us redeemed in you. You made us new. Jesus, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.